greater than yourself and i'm am very much still john barleycorn um as you may know so uh we are on a mid-season break right now but me and fred had an exhaustive conversation uh weighed the pros and cons and uh took this as a topic to many a meeting and ended up deciding to uh share this interview that i did with uh, our new friend adrian on his podcast. So here in your feed this week as a bonus is me on his show, The Addictive Pod. Enjoy and happy new year. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Addictive Pod. It's your host Adrian here and today I'm joined by another podcast host actually. So I'm joined by the host of a podcast greater than yourself, John Barleycorn, who shares his story of addiction recovery, talking about entering AA at a young age, how it took him another 15 years of heavy drinking and drug use to finally admit that he really needed help, and how the steps transformed his life and helped him to become the person that he is today. Please join me in welcoming John Barleycorn. John, welcome to the Addictive Pod. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for asking. I it was Clay F who recommended I reach out to you, um, and the Recovery Radio host. And then I listened to your podcast. I listened to a podcast greater than yourself, and I was I was dying. I listened to the <laughs> uh, you you don't need to go to a single meeting um, with Astrid H. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, you guys had me. You guys had me dying. It was great. Nice. That's good. That's a good reaction. I, I think, you know, when we started the podcast like a uh, year and a half ago, the predominant thought with us was that, uh, you know, people were gonna. There would probably be like ten people who got it and laughed, and then there would be like. <laughs> 90 you know, that are pissed. 10,000 people who were like angry, uh, you know, because the, the majority of AA and also, you know, most other modes of 12-step recovery or support group recovery, whatever you want to say, um, just the, the plain statement that you can recover from alcoholism without attending a single meeting is like, uh, it's like you're telling somebody to fuck off and die you know when it's, yeah when and it was it's the opposite you know? it was very it was clickbaity for me because i was like wait a second i thought this guy was uh into the big book like what <laughs> i thought he was right. into 12 steps yeah um, which i am it's the, my whole life but you know it's yeah like, but there's a know. difference between the 12 steps and the meetings and that's what you sure. guys made such a good point of talking about and i also like the fact that it's comical because i don't know if you know like the chris kramers of the world the angry like hating on aa speakers mm-hmm. where it's just there's so much anger there and it's bizarre that some of these big speakers um in my opinion that they're they're coming across with so much anger when mm-hmm. it's a spiritual program it's like dude did you do a <laughs> resentment inventory on aa like you need to chill they're really cheesed i listen to those tapes like they're just something in the background i'm like because i really enjoy a passion for recovery you know but like there's really a specific lane there it's kind of twofold for me it's like well there's a there's a real definite passion there for this thing that changed my life and at the base of that is that is this understanding of what we kind of opened up talking about where it's like there's there's about 103 pages of really concise directions that is the entirety from start to finish 100% of the program Alcoholics yeah. Anonymous, and it's all in this book. And then there's all this other stuff. 
you know, if I'm the person who that program's geared toward, and then I come to a meeting that's named after the book, and, and I never hear anything from the book after the opening reading, and all the rest of the stuff that I hear is, like, very well-meaning, but it's, like, stuff that I've already tried and that isn't working for me. Yeah. Just, like, loving myself and, you know, white-knuckling it and all this stuff. You just have to affirm yourself, John. You're right. Yeah. Well, that's like a very sad state. The fact that yeah. like most meetings are somewhere that you could walk into as a new person, ostensibly really needing this and not hear it. If you hear him now, like that's like the most like calm, loving really? AA speaker you could think okay. of. Yeah. I'll send you some new maybe, stuff. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll check him out again. I'll give him another chance. And we could do a whole, we could do the whole podcast about problems with AA and way this that people react to it but i'd love to hear your story i've never really heard your full story of recovery and i'd love to hear uh what led up to you first realizing that you needed help first going to 12-step programs i don't know how um original it is uh, or interesting but i was a kid when i first came to AA. i was a teenager and you know i i had a propensity for you know like uh being creative you know like the stuff that we do on the podcast today or you know the meme page dr silkworth like all of that stuff it's just a sober extension of like stuff i've been doing <laughs> since i was a little kid you know just goofing around you know you're bored you, you make stuff and so i went to an art school um i had a little scholarship and stuff and basically went up and spent like a year just like with no constraints on my drinking or drug use and uh, discovered a few new drugs and these things that like had been, you know, maybe caused a little bit of drama um, during the summer months or a few extended weekends during like my high school years um, really started to become the center of my of my life when I was away at college and you know obviously what ended up happening was stuff like cutting out in the middle of class to go fill like you know big thermos <laughs> mostly full of liquor and you know with a little bit of orange juice or whatever and then coming back and then you know knocking over a bunch of computers in the computer lab or just just being a you know drunk slob at like 1 30 in the afternoon at school um Stuff like that started becoming commonplace uh, when drugs got involved. And back then, it was it was really just like um, pot and uh, and then later like whippets, really really bad whippets, pills, stuff like that. Um, but um, when that stuff got involved, it it uh, it got it got a lot worse for me because mm-hmm. um, you know I've I've had this abnormal reaction to like pretty much any substance that I put into my body that changes how I feel. So right from the get go, when I first discovered opioids, when I was like 17 or 18, it was like, Oh, okay. I just, I like, I just want to feel like this all the time. Right. Um, That's pretty young. So at that time I was living, I was living maybe like an hour and a half from a Mexican border town. You know, you could just drive down there and, just buy cases of beer and like, you know, a box of codeine pills or whatever. And, you know, and it was very casual and stuff. Um, I had parents who were the, the type who were kind of like, yeah, you know, you can, you can hang out and drink here. I mean, they didn't know I was like, you know, eating pills all the time or whatever, but you know, you can hang out and drink here just because you're, you're not, that's better than you like driving around and drinking in the woods or whatever, you know? And, um, and I do think that that's like, you know, preferable, obviously. Um, but, uh, you know, so they were really, they were really open-minded and gave you a lot of freedom, I guess. I don't think that that was a bad thing, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, it just, uh, I only say it to illustrate that like, you know, living on my own in college was not my first experience with like substances, you know? Um, but it's where it became a thing where I was like, quitting certain substances and i was like saying okay i need to not do this anymore or i need to not do that anymore um and it was where i first started seeing that like that was 
that was also a thing that was hard for me. Like it was hard for me to moderate, but it was, but it was additionally hard for me to walk away from a substance and not eventually pick it back up again. Mm-hmm. And so I had an experience, um, <laughs> involving liquid acid and just like, you know, some other stuff. And, um, really squandered some opportunities there had like a little mini psychotic break and um oh yeah i'm familiar with yeah. those <laughs> right yeah super fun <laughs> mini mini right. psychotic breaks love them well so basically i just like i you know i went back to my hometown um with my tail between my legs and you know i i was i was in this state where i just like could not live <laughs> just yeah. everything was impossible. I felt like uh, humiliated. I felt um, totally like incapable of just like walking outside and like having an okay day. You know, my nerves were frayed. Um, Did you just stay inside for a while? Like you were really isolating? I had, I had probably like, I mean, I had a few months where I was like a, a cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Like, I mean, I wasn't like you know, painting the walls with my feces or anything, but I was like, you know, (laughs) I was, I was pretty nuts. Like I was having delusional thinking that went beyond just like, you know, the typical alcoholic delusion. Um, Right. Right. But I was white knuckling sobriety. Um, and you know, my folks got me into an outpatient treatment thing. And when I was there, there was, there was kind of like three things that happened. The first thing was that um, I got to hear a lot of stuff about a lot of drugs I had never tried and like how awesome they were. <laughs> and, I love treatment. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's um, insane. And I got to hear um, that, you know, how, how, how I was reacting to life was not normal. The fact that like I could not talk about what was going on with me without like, breaking down and crying um that yeah. like there were options for me the option that was presented to me was ativan which is something that i ended up getting addicted to but um the third thing that i heard was that you know if uh that i had basically two options i could die or i could go to aa <laughs> and like you know basically they were like well this is this thing's coming to an end so you know door number one death door number two aa um so I kind of like weighed those briefly and then I was like, okay, well, I'll try AA. Um, choice. Yeah. So that was my introduction to AA. It was kind of like, you know, here's, here's the end of the road. And that's, that's not really how it felt once I got there, because once I got there, um, you know, I often joke uh, or often talk jokingly about how it was like a, this this is in the late nineties. Um, I am old, painfully old. Um, <laughs> so you know, I often talk jokingly about like how I got there, and it was just like a room full of smoking old white dudes and stuff. And it was, but after not extremely protracted period of time, I did find a lot of other like younger people. I was one of the youngest, but you know, I found some running buddies and stuff, and I after a couple stumbles had ended up having like some really, really formative friendships, some really good times and, um, you know, got a lot of support from some people got fucked over by some other people. Um, but ultimately did not recover from alcoholism or drug addiction. Um, Mm. You know, in the end, I was not presented with the solution. It was more of just fellowship and... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I wasn't really presented with a clear uh, presentation of what what the actual problem is either, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, My idea of alcoholism was like, you know, I I ruined my life, you know. Um, And, you know, that might be what some people, you know, refer to as alcoholism. I know that there's other fellowships where the literature basically says like, okay, so anyone whose life has been negative effect, negatively affected by drugs, that they're a drug addict. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. you know, today that's not my understanding of drug addiction, but you know, if, if someone understands it that way 
and that's how they see it and they feel they've recovered from that like hey that's great you know help yourself mm -hmm. um where i'm at today uh is is strictly a product of the ensuing 15 years from the first two times i was in aa as a kid and i say kid i mean i was an adult but um until the time when i came back to aa in my mid 30s and those like that ensuing decade and a half was like just putting on a demo of like how to be powerless over alcohol and drugs right you know it was just like really learning the step one for yeah. 15 years yeah here's here's how you do step one you know you live it. i can i relate to you so much like i think your story it might be the closest i've ever heard to my own because i was 18 and i came back from this trip uh, abroad having a psychotic episode with my tail between my legs super humiliated <laughs> and stayed in my room for months couldn't even get outside or go on the streetcar i thought people were following me it was just insanity so right it's so crazy hearing your story and hearing that you were introduced to the rooms but that there was no solution given and i just feel so grateful that in the in the i think it was the second fellowship that i went to somebody did offer me the solution and i'm i've stayed in actually no that's not true i did leave recovery as well but point being the the difference that somebody can make in a 12-step room of either showing somebody the solution and showing them the steps or not mm -hmm. is 15 years of somebody's life sure that's that's what it is that's what the impact can have of being a sponsor and being somebody who carries the message but but tell me right. about tell me about let's say at the end of the 15 years when you started to in your 30s realize that you needed to seek help again what started to happen or what were the events that led you back real quick before i get into that just to clarify like there there were definitely people giving me the solution right um but i firmly believe that i was only able to hear certain parts of that like a certain amount of it right you know when i when i look back on this guy who sponsored me one of the guys who sponsored me back then um i mean like there there was a dude who sponsored me who like told stuff from my fifth step to people like then oh that's like a, yeah that's like a scumbag move right so there were people who it's like they weren't helping me but then there yeah. were people where it was like you know uh i know that this guy who i'm thinking of specifically this guy was texting me from his a couple days before he died from the hospital bed when I was still actively drinking uh, in my mid thirties, like a week before I got sober. Um, and then as I got sober, like from his deathbed, this guy was like, you know, encouraging me, giving me guidance, wow. you know, but at the time, you know, when I had known him, you know, a decade and a half earlier, um, there was just some big chunks of the directions that I just didn't hear or wasn't willing to hear or wasn't willing to honestly right. see what was being presented to me, you know, cause maybe right, because I nobody can force you. Nobody can really make you do it. You have sure. to be ready. So, I mean, which brings me to when I was ready, you know, and like, um, I was in a place, I found myself in this situation sitting on the couch in my living room and, I'm detoxing, not necessarily because I wanted to, but because it was like, I'm out of money. I'm out of dope. Like, I just, I don't, I can't do this. Um, don't know what to do. I'm sitting there and I'm like, literally like every minute I'm watching the clock. Like every minute just feels like an hour, you know, um, eight to 10 hours after the last time I used where like, you know, my bones feel old. My blood is like angry. Just that that horrible feeling and i got this this like slight slight sliver of hope where for just a brief second i'd be like you know what this is it's okay because like at least this is the last time i'm gonna have to do this like i don't ever have to be dope sick again i don't ever have to detox again like it's it's gonna be fine um and then what happened was like 
three or four weeks later, I was there doing the same exact thing. And then another month later, same thing. And then two weeks later, same thing. And it happened over and over and over. And I was living in this groundhog day where like, I would be totally, totally convinced that I either could or should or wanted to um, quit and stay stopped. Um, Because like the maybe last year and a half of drinking and using, it was becoming more and more clear where it was like I I would get what I felt like I needed and it would be a month supply whether this, you know, like, I mean, I'm talking about like a, a bag of pills or I'm talking about like uh, a big old expensive giant bottle of really nice bourbon mm-hmm. that I go spend way too much money on. Cause I'm like, yeah, that'll, that'll last three weeks, you know, and whatever it was, it would be gone in like two or three days. And I would just be totally confused as to how this was happening. You know, every time I would look in my wife's eyes and she'd be crying, she'd be like, you know what the fuck, what are you doing? Like, you know, for her, uh, someone who has a very normal reaction to alcohol and drugs for her to, to watch me, uh, I could see it in her eyes. Like she, she thinks I'm lying to her, you know? Um, but what was going on with me is that I genuinely thought I could do that. You know, I thought I could control it and I thought I could stop and stay stopped. And I, and I was proving that I couldn't. Right. Which is a really hard thing to admit and to prove to yourself because, everybody thinks they have control over their actions. Everybody thinks that they make decisions for their life, right? So to have this area of your life, and you probably did make decisions in other areas. That's what's Mm -hmm. so confusing. You probably had discipline in some areas, and then in this one spot, you have absolutely no control. I was just curious, did you have have kids at this point? No. Okay. No. Um, You know, this kind of goes back to something you were saying earlier. Some people might have an interpretation of of alcoholism or or addiction as like, you know, oh, my life sucks or my life's fucked up or the drama in my life, you know, or you hear at step one meetings like, you know, it was clear that my life was unmanageable because X, Y, Z happened or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, really what what I was proving uh, in that 15 year period was that I'm still paying bills. I still have a car. I have a relationship that's maintained. I'm holding a job. I'm getting promotions. Before my wedding, I'm like eating 1,600 calories a day and going to the gym six days a week. Like I'm, I'm able to do discipline. Yeah, yeah. I can do stuff. I can make stuff happen. I'm recording albums with with a number of different groups. Like I'm, cool. I, things are getting done. But just because that stuff's true, the fact that I cannot manage the decision to not snort pills or to not pick up a drink like that's a pretty clear indicator that my life's not manageable you know i can't yeah. manage the decision to not drink alcohol you know i'd make the decision and then i break the decision and that's really what step one is about is you know do i have the power of control and choice and for me it took what it took for me to be able to walk back into aa and say okay, wow, I don't have that power. What was it like walking in after that period of time and swallowing your pride to actually admit that? What was what did it take for you to do that? I mean, it was scary. I talked about this in a treatment center night before last. I asked my wife one time, like, hey, so, you know, they're trying to play it cool, probably drinking. Um, hey, so what if I, what do you think if I went to like a meeting, you know, and, I didn't, apparently, I, I didn't think about it until later, but I didn't need to, like, clarify what type of meeting yeah. I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> she might have known. She might have she, had some yeah. idea. <laughs> she was just like, um, yeah, I think she was trying to play it cool, too, because she's like, yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, I would support you in whatever you want to do and uh, whatever you need, you know, that kind of Under thing. the table, um, she's like, yes, yes. Right, <laughs> exactly. And so I was like, I knew enough about AA to where... I was like, are you totally sure? Because I'm pretty sure if I go back to AA, it's going to mean that I have to get like really involved and do some serious stuff that might take up a lot of my time for a while. True. Um, And she was just like, I just want you to be happy. We need to get this together and stuff. And, and actually going 
physically to a meeting was like, I mean, it was, yeah, you know, it's like you're on a, on a high dive or whatever, you know, trying to very, like very slowly walk up to the edge of a cliff to jump off. It was that kind of a thing, but it's like, you never, Mm -hmm. you never jump. You just stand at the edge the whole time and just like, you know, shake. Luckily the meeting I went to, there was a dude who had never been to a meeting ever. And so everybody just focused on him and I just got to like blend into the background. Nice. Um, Play it cool. Right. Did you see anybody that you recognized or anybody that you had kept in touch with? No, this was like so new, many. New area, new spot. Yeah, yeah. this is like 2,000 miles away. Um, but I did have the benefit of contact with, you know, the, the gentleman who had sponsored me previously who ended up passing away like that week. Um, right. And um, another guy who is still sober from back when we were kids. Um, and so I had, you know, texted with them and stuff and, and was encouraged, you know, like, Hey, you know, just this book, you know, basically what it boiled down to was like, look, you know, just find someone who knows the book until you do, until you find that, um, you know, the book was written for this exact reason. You can do this, the work in the book and recover, you know, and like start the work. That's what I was told. You know, like I was encouraged to start the work, which is what I did. You know, so before I ever had a sponsor, I had read through all this stuff. I had gotten to page 44 where it asks you the questions for step one. I, I identified with it. I said, yeah, you know, this is me right now. And I, you know, page 47, step two question. I was like, sure. Okay. And, you know, step three, I did the prayer with my wife. Like it talks about in the book. I explained to her what I'm doing. I made sure she understood what the situation was. And then I wrote a four step and I started showing up to meetings and asking people to sponsor me. And I'd be like, Hey, I got my four step in the car. Wow. And they would look at me like my fucking head exploded <laughs> into so cool. like a thousand, you know, yeah. leprechauns or something. <laughs> you did something and, <laughs> without me teaching you to do it first. Right. Where yeah, did you and, get you up? Know, it's like, yeah, you know, and, 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 you know, a lot of people would tell me, oh, I'm still working on myself. I can't help anyone. And, you know, I, I would literally just like, okay, cool. And just walk away. Cause it's like, I just, I knew that I just needed to keep moving. I knew action because like, I was still in the middle of like, you know, um, I could, you could, you could smell the pain on me, but yeah. at the same time, uh, and like the desperation for a, like a solution to my life's issue. But at the same time, I, I was waking up wanting to, to pick up and it was like fucking brutal, you know? And I was like, I know that like all, all I could do is do this stuff. And, you know, I, I even told my wife at the time, I was just like, Oh, I could always just drink again. Right. And she was like, sure. Yeah. You know, do the stuff. And if it doesn't work, you can always drink. And really in, in my head, I was like, I could try this. And if it doesn't work, I'll kill myself. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. You know, um, that's the kind of desperation that leads to the willingness that it takes, right? Without that desperation, I don't know many people that are really able to work the steps the first time around. And, and that was the desperation I had, which is why I was so shocked. The first fellowship I went to, there's like maybe eight, 10 people in there mm-hmm. and nobody was able to sponsor. And they were like, you, you know, you should come back to maybe six meetings, see if it's right for you. And I was like, I don't have six meetings. Like I Wolf. don't have, I don't have six days. Like I barely made it to this meeting. And it's, it's just shocking to me that some people don't understand the desperation and aren't able to help, but that's their journey as well. Who knows what, what they were going through at that meeting. And I, I went to a next meeting the, the same day and was able to find somebody. But, so when um, you say fellowship in that regard, are you saying like, both of those meetings were within the same 12 step fellowship or were they no com- no different 12 step i literally okay. left that 12 step fellowship found another one of a related gotcha. issue and was like i need help like i need, i asked for a sponsor raised my hand and somebody and that's how i found my first sponsor right um so how did you find that first person and what was it like to eventually share that fourth step um well the first sponsor i had was a dude who was sitting in the corner smoking by a lamp and i said hey smoking guy do you want to be my sponsor and he was like okay cool 
but <laughs> that was like Wise just some dude man. i called my sponsor yeah i was like he gave me like a cigarette and it was like okay cool um but yeah i know like uh the guy who's still my sponsor now from when i came back to AA. so i was in the situation where i'm going to meetings right and i'm shop i'm basically like shopping myself as a sponsee and like i have this four step and i'm at this point where i'm telling my wife when i pick her up from work one day i'm like i'm like i understand the people in my life who frustrate me right now more than i ever have in my entire life because i'm a person without a solution like i was using opioids and alcohol and other just basically anything um to fix to treat this thing in me and that stopped working right so then i removed that solution because that solution was killing me and now i have no fucking solution you know and so like the early you know, first you say you didn't have six days. Right. So like this was like day 10 or 12 for me when I'm telling her this, I was like, you know, I desperately need some sort of change because right now I want to get high. I want to drink. Yeah. I feel so fucked up and conflicted because I know that I can't do that, but I'm so baseline miserable (laughs) that it's just like, what do I do? Right. Um, and so I had started following randomly. Um, I was looking at Instagram and I think I searched like big book, AA, you know, like something like that. Um, and I saw some meme page and this meme page was like making jokes about the big book, um, mm-hmm. and about AA. And it just seemed kind of like my type of humor, you know, like you, like we started off talking about the podcast that I do, uh, with Fred and stuff. And like, you know, people, there's a certain type of humor where like, if you're not into that humor, you probably won't like our podcast. Cause yeah. even if you like the big book and stuff, you're probably just gonna be like, okay, these guys are assholes. And like, that's <laughs> fine. Um, but that's just kind of like my sense of humor. I've always liked that. And so these guys were making jokes and stuff like that. And it was about not only sobriety, but actual recovery um it was about you know there's this thing and you can recover from it and so i just i was like dude i can't fucking find somebody so i messaged this this instagram account just just like randomly i was not expecting that right yeah so it did me neither this guy replied to me and he was like he was like what part of the country you in and i told him he was like, is that really where you live? And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, oh, well, that's the city where I live. And um, he was like, what neighborhood are you in? And I told him, and he said, okay, well, I sponsor a guy who lives like, you know, a five-minute drive from you. Um, And that guy called me, and years later is still my sponsor. And within... Within uh, within two weeks of that uh, messaging that account, within two weeks of that, I'm sponsoring other people. You're so, kidding me, man! That's yeah. amazing. So it was like uh, I think a night with it was within within two days. I had done my fifth step and was on eight and nine, um, starting amends, and then got into ten, eleven, and twelve when I was about halfway through the amends, and. Um, he was that like, so cool, cool, go find people to sponsor. <laughs> he was like, he was like, if you can, if you can remember the name of everyone you sponsor, you don't have enough sponsees. Go, <laughs> go do it. And I was like, wow, that really sounds like That's a fucking awesome. asshole thing to say. That's awesome. I mix <laughs> up yeah. my sponsees names. I hope that counts. Right. Um, but tell me about those two weeks. Cause that is like, if I could. I, I wish we almost did the whole podcast. We could do forty minutes just on those two weeks. What happened? Sure. Especially the especially the the amends. What that process was like, and did you experience some type of change? Did you really experience a transformation there, or did you just go right into sponsoring? Still kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, you know, so in in the big book they talk about um, step work of you know Bill Bob Bill Dotson, alcoholic number four. Um, 
none of these dudes took longer than I did to do the steps. Oh right? no, that's what, that's what I was saying. Old school, like right, maybe exactly. even less. They would basically get out of the hospital and start sponsoring For right sure. away. Yeah, and so like you know, there's a story in the back where they you know they talk about um, you know dudes would show up to bob's house and like leave on their ninth step three hours later you know it's yeah. like this we we have complicated the shit out of this thing yeah um to where nor like people can't get it because it's just like oh you, well you don't have enough time to start a four step it's like cool that might that might have worked for you that if i had waited to start a four step i would have picked up a drink and i could be yeah. dead you know yeah. so um you know, you were talking about the desperation earlier. Like, that's the only reason that I was going through any of this. It's not because I have more virtue than anyone or... No. Or certainly am less lazy than anyone. That's certainly not the truth, right? Yeah. Um, it was that I had a real palpable step one experience. And when I met up with that dude the day after, the night, the evening after I had texted the guy who sponsored him, who, spoiler alert, uh, his name is Fred and he co-hosts the podcast I do. Um, so he has retired from the meme game though. But um, <laughs> when I met up with the guy he sponsored the uh, next evening, you know, he was like, well, I just want to review one through three with you and then just kind of look at your four step. And I was like, okay, cool. And then the day after that, we did the fifth step and I had done fifth steps previously uh, in previous attempts at sobriety. And it was like, you know, this like forever, this huge long thing, you know, yeah. five, six hours. And I was just like, you know, going through all this stuff and graphic details. And, and I walked away feeling like I had really purged and stuff. And like, this was not like that. This was, this guy was trying to see, do I see my mistakes with my resentments? Do I see where self-reliance is failing me with my fears Mm-hmm. And do I see where I've been selfish and what I could have done better with regard to my sex instinct? And as soon as we got to where I saw those things, we moved on. You know, wow. it was like, it was no more interesting to him. The stuff about like, uh, you know, being abused as a child than it was like, you know, me not liking a certain political party. Like it, yeah. it didn't matter what it was. It was like, yeah. okay, do you see your part? Cool. You know, and there was some you know, relating and stuff like that. But it was very like focused on what is it we're doing here? We're looking at the parts of self that are blocking you from a spiritual experience. that's going to save your life. That's all we're looking at. And so when I left that fist step, I was driving home and I felt a little bit relief. But when I woke up the next morning, like four and a half, five hours later, because I couldn't sleep, it was a different thing. I was not like, Oh, the weight of the world's off me and this and that. And, you know, I, and so I called him and I was like, dude, what, what the, like you fucking broke me. Like I feel worse. Right. Whoa. Um, and he was like, he, you know, calmly explained to me, like, you know, we looked at some, some truths that like, you've not been looking at for like almost two decades. Right. Like, yeah. you know, we looked at a lot of stuff here. The thing that the book suggests to do is to launch into action on helping the people who you've harmed approaching them directly and to see what you can do for them. And I can promise you, if you go do that, God's going to take care of this shit. Right. And so that's what I did, you know? And, mm-hmm. and for me, because I was living, you know, very far from a lot of those people, um, you know, I was, I was East coast at that time. And a lot of these people were on, uh, in the West coast or in Texas, um, you know, there was a lot of phone calls, you know, I had to make a lot of phone calls. Um, cause it's like, uh, what am I going to do? Sp- wait until I have, you know, $15,000 to do all these flights and stuff. <laughs> um, you know, the book talks about in the thirties, if we can't see someone, we write an honest letter, you right. know? So I think, uh, a phone call where, um, these people, you know, are being approached the way that the book describes, uh, that definitely felt more than sufficient uh, in many of these cases. And um, it was better than sitting around and doing no action, right? What was going through your head as you made the phone calls? Was it fear of how they would react? Was it guilt over what you did? Or were you just just excited to get it over with and, and kind of move on? Um, my On my initial 
approach on all those amends it was there was a lot of fear but um what it was was i was at a place where seeing my truth in my fifth step having a list of character defects to look at in steps six and seven um and having a list of people who i genuinely felt i had done harm to um put me in a position where i could say okay i'm i i am now at a place where my job, my role, my reason for calling you is to genuinely ask you to firstly say, like, I treated you poorly. Mm-hmm. And then to genuinely honor whatever wish you, you have for for me to make that right with you. And that was really the only motivation. There's a lot of fear in that, but the only motivation was, what can I do to make this right? Um, mm. And... The way that my sponsor had had presented the work to me was so plainly out of the book. Um, you know, there's there's like eight and a half pages on amends in into action, and um, it makes it really really clear that like all we're doing is just trying to you know repair these relationships that we have where we have done wrong, mm-hmm. and so whether that repair looks like cool, so um, you can make this up to me by never talking to me again, which did happen, you know? Yeah. Whether it looks like that or whether it looks like, you know, I'd like you to come hang out with me, you know, twice a month or whatever. And, you know, we'll spend time together. Like whatever it looks like, or pay me the fucking money back. Like whatever it looks like, I'm going to do everything I can to do that. You know? So my immense process, some of that is like, okay, um, you know, I'm still living in that. Right. Uh, you know, with Mm -hmm. family and stuff. Some of that was like, uh, all right, so, you know, no new tattoos, no new sneakers. You know, I'm not buying music <laughs> shit. I'm like, yeah. my, this money, it's not my money. Yeah. You know, this is God's money, and this stuff belongs to these other people, you know, and I've got to pay right. them off before anything. So all of that action and those amends, like I talked about getting halfway through, you know I mean? I, I'm like... I think about it as approaches. And when I talk with people I'm sponsoring, I talk about amends as approaches. So it's like, you know, how many approaches did you do today? It's like, okay, well, you didn't approach anyone today or you didn't, you know, you got 60 people on your list and you've, you know, approached two people. It's like, you know, okay, cool. You know, I don't know. I had the desperation mm-hmm. where I'm like, I'm approaching five to 10 people every day. I'm making these mm-hmm. approaches. And that doesn't mean that I'm like, you know, doing a full amends, but. I'm trying to get At least you're starting. With them. Yeah. 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 Or I'm showing up. I'm saying, Hey, can you meet me tomorrow? So we can have a talk about how I've behaved, you know, mm-hmm. um, coming to them on their terms, you know, but in doing all those actions, you do start to feel different and you feel more strength coming in with each one that you do. Um, but each one is still, in my experience, still approached with the same reverence and prayerfully with the same forethought, you know, as the last one, even though there's more confidence with each, with each one. And there's more like understanding Mm. of what happens as you make amends with people with each one, you know, Mm -hmm. each one's a new one. If you treat it differently than that, um, it usually goes bad. You mentioned earlier about people saying in meetings, like you got to love yourself. And I think, the amends is the only action or the only thing that I ever did that actually improved my self-love and my, my, the way I thought of myself, my esteem, because Hmm. affirmations without any action, right? If I'm just telling myself I'm a good person, I have value. I know it's bullshit until I actually go out and act like a good person and make up for the things that I did. So it's so crazy to me that people talk about self-esteem and and these things without any connection to the actual action of making things right and of going back and repairing those issues. And I think it's just because it's hard, right? It's, it's a hard thing to admit and you have to be desperate to do it. Yeah. And I think of, um, I have that similar thought to that a lot in meetings or whatever, where, you know, you'll hear people talk about gratitude or, you know, whatever. And, and obviously, you know, it's kind of rote at this point, but to say that, you know, gratitude or self-worth, you know, that those are like actions rather than, 
you know, just uh, something that, you know, I want to talk about, right? Or mm -hmm. something that I feel, you know, like I, I get self-worth through selfless action, you know, exactly. the same thing as gratitude. Like I'm, I could, I could pray and say that I'm thankful until I'm blue in the face. But, um, the fact that like I take the garbage out without being asked and that I change diapers without being asked and that I, you know, like help pitch in at work and help out without, you know, telling everyone and trying to take credit for it. Like that shows that I'm, grateful for the life that I have today that I didn't think was on offer for me. Right. Mm. Mm -hmm. Tell me about sponsorship real quickly, because I know we're, we're going over time here, but I'd love to hear about at the end of that two weeks, what it was like to try and take other people through that experience and whether you had success with that or whether it was, um, what, what was that experience like? Yeah. I mean, you know, first off success as a sponsor looks like you, uh, actively seek people out to help and you try to help them, you know, that's, you've succeeded hundred percent. Um, so yeah, it was in, in that regard, it was very successful. Um, uh, my personal experience with sponsorship was that until I was like actively seeking out people to help do the steps and sitting down with the book and looking at even just step one with people until that happened, I didn't recover. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I had the desire to drink. I had fear around drinking. Um, and what happened was, you know, I had knocked out some amends. I started 10 and 11 daily. Um, and then a couple days later, maybe three or four, um, I had like 26 tw or I had like 23, 24 days. Um, I was sponsoring a guy, you know, and I was sitting down with the book and, um, you know, it, it looked as clumsy as it sounds, you know, I'm sure yeah. like, I, I'm just like, Hey, so, you know, uh, uh, so doctor's opinion, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know what the fuck I'm yeah. doing. Right. But let's read it. Just you read a paragraph. Right. I'll read a paragraph. Yeah. But you know, I mean, I know how to show somebody what I did, you know, a, a, like a broad overview of it, you mm -hmm. know, and that involved a lot of talking with my sponsor and being like, Hey, you know, you helped me understand this thing. Like, what was that cool thing that you said that really I locked in with on step two that made it make sense to me. Um, right. and within a couple days of, you know, sitting down with somebody and just, you know, putting our nose in a book and talking about step one, I realized that the desire and fear around alcohol had, had gone. Um, it was, it was gone and I've stayed active in 10, 11 and 12 every single day since then. And I've never had a moment's consideration about taking a drink. I don't live in fear of alcohol. Um, you know, there's alcohol in my house right now. Uh, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't have a problem with it. It's wow. those 10 step promises of having that stuff removed from me. It's absolutely been my experience. And, and again, that didn't happen for me until I was active in sponsorship. But do you keep a journal? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, well, it's funny I'm because, I mean, you. I know that you're joking, but <laughs> I actually do. Um, I mean, like I, I, like I write my, my 11 step nightly review, but uh, it's, it's like, like even when I'm trying to look at it, I like right now, I, I can't even read it personally. I do it just cause it's like uh I don't know. It's, I, I, I get so much more. One thing I learned from four step is I get so much more when I, when it, from, from my brain to pen and paper, so much more happens there from just like my brain to just my brain. You know what I mean? Mm, mm. Like I see so much more, you know, write so much more than I would have just like thought. Um, but yeah, I've got this chicken scratch journal sitting next to me. If you want to call it a journal, it's not really, I think an, an outsider would think that I journal. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I'm just messing with you, man. I think that's I incredible. I, I think that you said at the beginning, your story is unoriginal, but it, uh, it really is just a, a pure story of what works, right? Your story is at its purest. Just, this is what you do. These are the practical actions you can take and you never have to worry about the addiction again. And that's the message sure. I'm trying to share. That's exactly what I want people to hear about. I want people to learn about it because it's crazy how many guests I've had on this show who 
don't really have many practical things to say and may not have experienced the same compulsion and the same uh, obsession and insanity that we experienced right so it's Mm -hmm. and i'm really grateful to have you on the show and for sure before we before we wrap up if there's any one thing that you could share with somebody who is familiar with the steps but may not have had this experience what would you say to that person who is still on the fence of whether this can work for them get a journal um start journaling (laughs) no uh you're (laughs) you're um you know your your ability to recover is directly correlated to your willingness to take action. You know, AA isn't for people who want it. It's not for people who need it. It's it works for everyone who does it. So like, if you if you do these actions, coming from someone who was such a snotty snot-nosed atheist that I called myself an anti-theist when I came to the steps. Like, if if you do this stuff, it works, you know? And now, today, you know, I can use the word God without cringing, and I can tell you honestly that, like, my relationship with the higher power is the absolute core of my whole life. And I live with power that I never thought I could have in my life, in every area of my life now. And so one thing that I would tell anybody and that I always tell people is that this is available to anyone who does it. There's no barrier other than your lack of willingness to try it. So true. It's impossible not to change if you go through those actions. Right. And to experience something something new and something better. And John, thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you and appreciate your vulnerability and coming on here and thank you. All the best, man. I'm going to I'm going to be staying tuned on the podcast greater than yourself and I'd love to have you on the show again sometime. Yeah, it was very cool. I appreciate it. Thank you again. Thank you everybody so much for listening to this episode of The Addictive Pod. If you enjoyed listening to John, you have to check out his podcast. It is A Podcast Greater Than Yourself. I'm going to put a link in the description. And he also has a meme page on Instagram. It's Dr. Underscore Silkworth. My Instagram is at Addictive Podcast. And as always, I'd love to hear from you guys any feedback about this episode, feedback about what you want in future episodes, or just let me know what's going on in your addiction recovery. Until next Wednesday, remember, we recover together. Thanks for listening.